It's as close as you can get to Dungeons and Dragons without actually playing the game. Well, that's intriguing. Welcome to Panelism, the podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Todd A. And I'm Taylor Trask. Thank you for listening. <laughs> no, I'm Taylor We Trask. have interrupted our coverage of Genesis album by album, track by track. That's right. Before we started recording, I was I was doing a wonderful little riff of Genesis Radio. So look for that show to start soon on the Panelism Network, where I just I go into a British accent and I talk about Genesis for over thirty for three hours every day. I was, I'm just going to read <laughs> Wikipedia entries about Genesis and just and just record it. So that that'll be coming soon. Oh man, I really I just want to spend a half an hour talking about like trying to come up with the perfect pun for the name of that podcast. But I know, uh, I know. You, but maybe it'll to come to you during the episode. Yeah, it's um, but they have so many brilliant like album names. Surely one of those like I just got to figure out what title kind of best goes. But they're all like very Victorian <laughs> sounding and just sort of arch. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Oh man. Anyway, uh, not not to get too far off the subject we're talking comic books today and it yes. feels like it has been so long it has been um, so long although you had a great conversation last week um with frank fry yes. uh, where y'all talked a lot about comic books and and i as a um interested third party love that episode i really enjoyed Aww. just hearing like another conversation and you know what was great was it wasn't specifically picking apart a comic and it that felt like a great refresher from um you know what we do, but like today we're going to pick one apart, but uh, yeah. it's good every once in a while to have those where it's just like general comics talk. Like it was a really easy podcast for me to put on while I was getting ready one morning and just let it play and be like, oh, I'm not, you know, it's not, I don't feel like uh, I, I'm missing out on some, you know, because it's so deep into some book that I haven't read or something like that. So it was very cool. Yeah, a lot of people like that one. And in fact, I good news. Uh, there are more on the way. I've actually, I'm, yeah, I'm securing record dates from from new folks as we speak. So there will be more of that, more fireside chats to come. Um, and yeah, well, I think this. Uh, you know, fireside chats, the one shots, kind of like what we're doing today, the watching episodes. And then, of course, the panelism, what we're calling the panelism book club now, yeah. um, where we kind of really do a really deep dive. Spoiler spoilers. Ladies. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. Like we're, into, we're, into a bigger book or to like maybe a bit bigger. Like in this case, I think our January pick, our, our inaugural pick in this format is Black Monday Murders Volumes 1 and 2. So it's both the trade paperbacks that have come out so far. And um, yeah, we're we're diving deep, and we want listeners to read along and then join us on the episode, so that we can kind of talk about it, and then hopefully we'll get some interaction going, and and you know open it up to a wider audience or a wider set of voices besides just you and I. And so that's uh, we should give a date on that because we um, it, that's always hard for us to talk about because we're recording these in advance. Yeah, uh, true. But we believe that that will be. Do you January have the date? 29th. Ninth. The okay, 29th perfect. of January. That episode should drop uh, unless just something goes horribly wrong that weekend before and you'll know. You'll know if it does, but it shouldn't. And then we'll be uh we'll be talking about it and and talking deep. I I talked and, about Black Monday Murders before, um but not both volumes and not at this depth and Todd had not read them. I think when we previously talked about I think the correct. first volume. So this will be a, a, there'll be some things I talk about, but I'm looking forward to just a, a completely fresh um, conversation, especially knowing that you have read it, because some of the stuff I, you and I are going to go deep on, on just geeking out over. Yeah, and I, I, as I was, you know, saying at the beginning of of the the ref, refreshment of listening to you and and um, a Frank have that conversation. Uh, was interesting and will be the opposite of Black Monday Murders because this is a book that you did talk about before and I was yeah. very interested. Yeah. Uh, it's Jonathan Hickman, uh, right? Yep. Yep. As, <laughs> and, uh, as is everything these days, just it's all right. Of course, uh, it does not involve the X Men. 
um, uh, nor east of west. And you, I, not to put you on the spot, but if you happen to recall that episode number where you talked about it before, that would be great. Uh, but yes, you had talked about it before, and I was like, oh man, I want to read this book. And then um, I texted you a little bit before the like holidays and said. Oh, I just picked up Black Monday Murders Volume 1, and we went, yep, that's the book club. So January 29th, that's when the episode will come out. We will talk about Volumes 1 and 2 of Black Monday Murders. We're telling you right now, it's going to be uh, filled with spoilers. We're just going to just really go deep on it. and But we hope that you will read at least maybe Volume 1 and kind of get into that discussion and um you know, partic- participate in comments on our one social media network. Uh, for those of you wondering, Instagram. it's <laughs> episode 64. So going way, back yes. a ways, 64 had um, wow. a dual, it was a dual, one of those things, one of those older ones when we were mm-hmm. still doing the Coffee and Comics format. You did a book and I did a book and you did the Zen of Steve Jobs. Oh, uh, wow. And I did Black Money Murder. So yeah, that should be a fun one. But yeah, we're going to go a lot deeper. This is kind of a, it's it's given me a chance to go back and reread the whole series start to finish and just have a deeper, a deeper appreciation for, I think what Hickman's trying to do and especially how it sort of ties into the current socioeconomic situation we're in right now too. There's a lot going on that really makes this book interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, back on the refreshment tip, like, uh, just to, just to kind of keep that conversation going, what are you, what's on your TBR list right now? Oh. Besides rereading black Monday murders. Well, before, well, there's a there's a there's a probably a to be rewatched again list, which includes The Mandalorian. Have I've been talking about this with our friend Drew? You've sort of been you've sort of been quiet. I'm assuming you haven't seen it yet. I have not watched Mandalorian yet. That is correct. We should. I, I'm just going to wait then because anything I would say is either spoilery yeah. or tangent. So, so at some point you're going to watch it. We're going to do a panels. I'm watching The Mandalorian, and I can't wait to delve into that with you because we may have some interesting agreements or disagreements i also over christmas because we haven't really had a panelism episode since before christmas um uh, i went to santa fe uh with the fam and one of the many things i did and if you've never been to santa fe oh my god i think i've talked about it before but it's just (laughs) it's such a wonderfully creative just inspiring place but george r R. martin is is there and he has not only a movie theater but a his own kind of bookstore um, and it's, it, so it's, it's very, very sparsely curated, but there's some really cool stuff. There's about an art book, um, from a, mm. uh, just an amazing graphic artist. That's I kind of I forget his blanking on his name now, um, kind of in the Chris Foss style. And then literally right around the corner and on the backside of George R. R. Martin's bookstore is like Santa Fe's killer comic shop. So walked in there and grabbed, um, a humanoids title that on the cover said, uh, you know, basically said, uh, uh, supported by Joe Dorowski and, or, you know, including a forward from Joe Dorowski. I was like, oh crap, well, I got to get this. It's called D- uh, day of the magicians. And mm, it definitely, definitely in the running for my favorite book of 2020, even this early on it got, it was good. Um, so I can't wait to talk about that at some point more. Um, also reading great new image series called 20 XX, from the guy who brought us Alex and Ada, which I've talked about, uh, Jonathan Luna. And then there's a new artist, or a new writer, rather, um, named Lauren Keeley, who's uh, the writer on the project. And, oh, my God, she's crushing it. Um, hmm. Talk about, like, you know, just an, an awesome new talent. And then to, to pair her writing with what Jonathan Luna's doing, it's that same visual style that you see in Alex and Ada. It's distinctly him, but it works really well for the story she's writing. So just an amazing little series that image in your know, image, I think really had held up as kind of the, one of their marquee series of 2020. And it's I so far living up to that hype and they're only two, two issues in. So wow. definitely start 20 XX if you have not. And then also start, um, a series called also not to be confused with day of the magicians. It's just called the magicians. It's a five issue mini series on boom that came out. And if you're wondering if this is having anything to do with the novels or the, the TV show. So the novels came out first by less uh, Lev Grossman. And then the TV show on sci-fi or wherever it is, is based on those novels. Then there was like a one-off uh, graphic novel called The Magician's Alice's Story that came out early 2019. And then uh, the people who made that graphic novel are making this miniseries comic 
um, called The Magicians, and it's really good. Like, I really, it strangely has a similar kind of feel to Day of the Magicians in terms of how they portray magic and people who can wield magic. It's, you could see a crossover story happen very, very easily, um, even though it's a completely different visual aesthetic, but very similar very similarly kind of attuned, um, but really great little series. So I, I would highly check that. I, I would say the magicians and 20 XX are my, my series that I'm sticking with now until they're done. Um, day of the magicians, graphic novel, and then, Oh, Hickman's X-Men run. I forgot to mention that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, which controversial. Uh, no, well, it depends. So Hickman, it's a little confusing cause he's like overseeing a lot of, if not all of the books that are coming out since, right the reboot. So there's like five or six concurrent X-Men kind of series, like Marauders is one of them. And just, uh, there's so many different ones. Yeah. There's a new Excalibur, right? And yeah, yeah. That's that follow different factions of, of X-Men, but Hickman himself continued on to write just X-Men, like the actual series rebooting from issue one, following the events of house of X powers of 10. I forget who the artist is. I feel bad about that. It's not the same artist as was on, hmm. Uh, House of X, different artist doesn't matter. Still great, still great work. Um, but he's doing that. He's four issues into that, and I like it a lot. Like it definitely is a is a logical and good continuation of House of X. Like it's it's like if you really want that story to, you know, in its in its purest form, I would say just read X Men because he's doing a good job of already paying off a lot of stuff from House of X, Powers of Ten. That you, I'll, I'll just refer to it as House of X from now on. Um, he pays off a lot of stuff from uh, house of X and you know, you get to see the effects of what, you know, what the mutants do start to really matter. Like, it's not like this is a mm. slow burn. He's cranking through at a pretty good pace considering what, who, when, you know, what the property is and what they're doing. So, huh. um, I would say definitely jump in. I don't, I, when you, you said controversial, is that just because some people are like, eh, or oh, we're just on a, a, a text chain, right? That, <laughs> oh, you're talking about the, yeah. Well, Drew, I don't, you know, I don't know if Drew is reading the same thing as me because the, he has, he had different issue numbers and then he was pointing out things that I'm like, I don't know if that's part of this run. Um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe they're publishing differently huh. for the UK. I don't know. Wow. I, I'm excited, too, because uh, it feels like at the beginning of the year, um, whether they were there and I missed them, uh, they felt new to me where I, I was in Comixology Unlimited and grabbed oh. a whole bunch of books to borrow that I'd been wanting to read um, or was just sort of like interested in but not willing to, you know, shell out for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Harrow County Volume oh, 2 is in there. Oh, you're finally doing Harrow County. Yeah. Right, now, have, and were you, we you a Volume to- 1 person? We talked about volume one uh, in episode number 90. Oh, God, uh, did we? Yeah. I so I had to go look it up <laughs> just while you're talking about uh, the X-Men. Oh, we um, did. So volume yeah. two uh, I, is available to borrow in Comixology right now. I got volume one of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina because um, I've heard good things about that and the TV show. Um, and then I grabbed five volumes of Dr. Afra. I can't even remember when we talked about Dr. Afra volume one, but like every other volume is available to borrow in comiXology right now. So I've got a ton of reading to do after black Monday murders to, uh, you know, before those disappear from comiXology. Dr. Afro was the star Wars. It's the star Wars. Like it's basically like a, um, uh, female Indiana Jones protagonist who, um, is in the star Wars universe. Yes, She's an yes, archeologist yes. and, uh, has, has these like droids that are, uh, <laughs> more or less, uh, misanthropes or malevolent, you know, like a murdering sort of, uh, C three, um, or whatever, whatever model number C three PO is called, you know, one of those, mm-hmm. uh, androids, um, human cyborg relations. Yeah. But it's, uh, <laughs> it was really, the first volume was really enjoyable. It was, it was Kieran Gillen. Um, and I'm not sure who's on the next, four volumes, but I'm excited to, uh, read them. It looks like one of those, I mean, uh, I dare dare say this, but it looks like one of those like future Disney plus series. It's just going to be killer. I hope so. You look at it. You're like, why isn't this made yet? I mean, it's made as a comic. And that's, that's what I thought when I was reading it. And it's exactly, and I, you know, I, again, haven't seen the Mandalorian yet, but it's the, it is the, it was at least when I read volume one, the way I wanted to experience the star Wars universe, especially in comic book form. Like, please don't retell the stories I've already seen on screen or 
tell me things that are going to have my brain like trying to second guess what I've seen on screen. You know, I read one volume of the Princess Leia book when when, uh, you know, Marvel had rebooted them all or whatever. And I just remember being like, what? I don't what. OK, what time period is this? You know, um, so Dr. Afro was, you know, it gave me all the the uh, decoration of the Star Wars universe and all the mythology without having to touch on the Skywalker oh, saga, Todd, you have which to as we know, you have JJ Abrams wrapped up perfectly. Yeah, of course you he know, did. Totally you... in style. Didn't, didn't, uh, uh, uh <laughs> you know, mess up the landing. What, what was our phrase from Watchmen? Oh, um, something, you know, the further we get away from our, my rise, our rise of Skywalker discussion, the, the, the worse it's going to age for me, just because my opinion just continues to sour in the other direction, just more and more and more. And like, I, what I can't wait to find out is once you've watched Mandalorian, if you like it better than any of the three last movies or not. And if you, and that will be right. a interesting, and you don't have to, I'm just curious if you would naturally are like, Oh yeah. Or if you're like, nah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to presume cause you may not be interesting. Yeah. We've got to do it. We got, oh, we got to talk about it, but not yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, I will. Not today. Yeah. Not today. No, today, um, I, I, this is such a, a weird book to bring because it, it just felt like the timing was never going to be right for mm-hmm. us to talk about this book. We've been talking um, about talking about it for a long time. Exactly. We've talked about talking about this book for longer than any other book, I think. Um, I, and, and I'm not just going to talk about one volume. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about Rat Queens volumes one through five. Jesus. Um, Ambitious. Yeah, because I because because in the midst of that discussion that kept going on and on, uh, it, there's like it, the first two volumes came out in 2014, I believe. So you know, it had already been five years old when we started talking about it, uh, talking about talking about it. <laughs> um, and it it spawned a really interesting conversation last summer. We uh, I had just gotten into the series. Um, and we were recording Wednesday in Westeros, our Game of Thrones podcast with our friend Emily Kelly Cunin. And after recording an episode, had this uh, this conversation that was just it was very much like in the zeitgeist of the time of when you find out a, a creator that you like has, you know, uh, done something horrible. How do you approach the art? Whatever. Um, so we'll actually bring you that conversation at the end of this episode. But for now, I just wanted to focus on on the books and uh, talk about the story and the art and all that and um, whether it's worth checking out. You know, um, you heard my little intro uh, and um, let's get into it, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, before we jump in too far, is it worth clarifying the like who created which volumes or where that changed and why, or, I mean, just just so people know kind of what we're dealing with. If only I could clarify. So, but, but it is probably good to talk about, uh, maybe how I got into it. Yeah. And I, this was one that I, the volume one was available to borrow on comiXology last summer and I borrowed it. And it was like right before I started reading, I, I had in for some reason I had in mind that it was a different creative team. I thought it was a creative team that I knew. Um, uh, I can't remember exactly who I thought was on that. Oh, I thought I thought Kelly Sue DeConnick had been on it for some reason. OK. Um, and it was like when, you know, I, I borrow it from Comixology. I don't know exactly the you know timeline and realized that, no, this is not whatever I was thinking of from Kelly Sue. And I went, why do I know this title? And I Googled it and discovered that one of the co-creators had been arrested for battery of his Uh, wife. Oh, that's right. Very soon after the title launched. So basically all of this happened in 2014. And and, uh, obviously, I think, sort of irrevocably scarred the reception of the book um, and – uh, but then the book has had this troubled publication history ever since, uh, because one of the artists who came on to replace that person full time then had a little uh, a falling out with the writer and thought that maybe he wasn't fully support fully supporting her. Um, I, I don't know the whole story there, and I and and it's difficult because it's sort of like on one hand I want to know the full story to feel like I'm giving it the fairest shake, but on the other hand, I, I, you know, for better or worse, I was trying to approach it like. 
do I still like the art, you know? Yeah, and, and this yeah. is a thing that we, I was struggling over last summer and that's what we talked to Emily about. Um, and so anyway, this co-creator, uh, who had been arrested is, it was, he was the illustrator and he, he was only in the first two trade paperback volumes. Um, then they had this sort of controversial, uh, or, or no, it wasn't even controversy, but you know, they had this, this new artist came in, um, only did a couple issues. Then he was replaced with Tess Fowler. Um, and then she's the creator that, that didn't like what was going on, whether things were okay. being kept from her or they were trying to bring in the original artist or something, you know, there was just some shenanigans going on. Um, so they, so, um, she left and this is difficult cause I'm, I'm looking, I'm both looking at the volumes of, uh, rat Queens and at the Wikipedia page yeah. and Wikipedia page is a little bit m- more clear. So basically Fowler had left in the spring of 2016 and they paused the whole title. Like the, the writer of it, uh, Curtis Wiebe, um, just said, Hey, we're just, we're just putting it on hiatus. Um, uh, she, uh, and now I'm, I'm, as I refresh my notes, now I'm seeing, she thought that they were pausing it in order to bring back the original artist. Mm. So that's what caused this controversy. Um, but he did, the writer denied that, um, and just said it was creative differences, that kind of classic thing. Then they said that it wouldn't return as a, a normal published book from image. It would be a web comic. Um, and it would have these two different artists on it. And then by November of 2016, they said, no, we're going to return with a new series and this new artist, um, Owen Genie, I, I think is maybe mm-hmm. how I pronounce that name. Um, <clears throat> For and, volumes four, five, six. Right. So then last year in June, of course, when I discovered this, but was not current, that was when um, the original writer and that replacement, replacement, replacement artist had now left the series and there's a new creative team in place. Completely. Okay. So when so, I look at volume seven, which has just come out, uh, so or will be that out is, in February. Right. And six and seven, I have not read, so I, I can't, but six is six is still Curtis YB and then Owen Gianni or Gianni. Um, and then yet yeah, a new team seems to be Ryan Ferrier, Marco Lesko, Priscilla Petrates. can't say yeah. that name. Um, so interesting. So, so that's what's most intriguing about that is that the uh, original creator writer Curtis Wybe is no longer on the series. So who owns it? Like yeah. who's actually able to like? Is it a band that they just sort of put in different people in like the studio? Like Image owns it? Like how strange? Right. I you know that's an interesting thing. I don't think we've ever covered a title from Image where it's so known for creator owned series yeah. that I, I can't think of another example on image where a creative team has changed. You know, basically the creative team either puts it on indefinite hiatus or they yeah. wrap up what they want to say and it's done, you know? Um, so it gets, it's, it's difficult. And it's funny too, because you know, like I said, uh, I'm not funny, haha, but it's, it's difficult for me to intelligently speak about it because when I got into it, the title is already five years old. I didn't know the whole publication history, but it already seemed chaotic. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I did read it in order. I did read those volumes um, that were illustrated by the the person who was removed from the title. Um, I, you know, and then I read three, four, five. This is why it took us so long to get this out because I kept thinking of like, well, at the end of some other volume, I'm going to have this moment where I go, okay, here's how I feel about the series. Uh, And I sort of had that after five and said, I'm ready to record. But I don't know. um, uh, I'm still not willing to give it like a strong vote in any way. Um, Uh But I thought, let's just talk about it. Um, And as as I teased at the top of the episode, this is basically Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a very clear adventuring party. Those are the Rat Queens, um, and they they literally do all the things that are that are both uh, you know tropes, um, but also like fami- like it, it's not it's not a trope in the sense that it's hackneyed or cliched. It's like no, this is what you would do in a game of D and D. You know, they well, go now- to the the quest board in the middle of town to find the next quest to go on. You know, they, they gather in taverns and overhear things and people hire them for strange jobs. Um, so it has that feel to it of like, these are a series of, of 
you know, D and D quests or adventures or something. Now, when two questions there, one and one, many people are probably asking when you say rat queens, are they actually rats that are just sort of like queens <laughs> of kingdoms? Are they what regular it, people? Are they like elves that just that's like it's like a, a dirty slang like a rat queen? Yeah. Like what? What is it? So, uh, great question. Cause I didn't even consider that that would not be understood. Um, but yeah, if you're not looking at the cover of the book, you don't know. That is just their, their gang name. They okay. are not rats, nor are they Queens. That's just, that's just sort of their like punk rock band name, you know? Cause I'll be honest that, um, prevented me from, I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to read about rat Queens. Like, I just don't care. Like, I just don't <laughs> like mice. I'm not really into, I'm definitely not into rats. Just don't care. So that's an interesting sell. What's also an interesting sell is if you're kind of like me and you're burnt out on that die series, that mm-hmm. is supposed to be sort of the ultimate D and D homage. It's is it? spoilers I that, God, uh, related to D and D. It's a little boring. Oh my God. The whole thing is a giant, like a RPG. When it was like sort like, of puzzles boring. stuff. Oh, okay. Oh no. They, they take on deliberately D and I mean, the whole thing is a giant, they get sucked into kind of like a Jumanji D and D world and then have to play out this game. Cause they're a friend. Here's a quick pitch for die. They left their friend behind cause they all got sucked in when they were kids, very much Jumanji style. And then they were coming back and, and their friend got left behind. So like 20 years later, they're all reuniting to basically, you know, like, it, like Kurt it, Cameron style. Exactly. But then, and then they kind of get, I mean, it's very, very Jumanji esque until they get into the world. And that all happens in issue one. So it's, I mean, that's the premise of the whole book, oh, but wow, it, okay. it's gotten a little bit boring. Um, so I'm kind of hanging off that. And this looks, I'm just looking, well, by the way, if you're at home and you're wondering, the first issue is available, available for free on imagecomics.com. Um, if you're interested, I'm, I'm perusing through that and it just looks like a much more fun, like what, where Die is just so it is moody. This is like, oh, right. this just looks fun. And know? so Die is, is Kieran Gillen, isn't it? Yep. Okay, so that's the one. Like we talk, My exposure to that is seeing him on that panel at Comic-Con last year. Yep. And I can't remember exactly what the focus of that panel, if it was horror comics or something. I think it was, and that's what, why I didn't think of it as like RPG take. But uh, okay. um, but Rat Queens is super fun. And that is what is so refreshing about it is that they are, they're like filthy mouthed. Like it, <laughs> this is a, a, you know, a very like sex positive, ribald, like, uh, you know, medieval fantasy style storytelling. Like this is not in any way PG um, or suitable for children. This is, um, you know, they're cursing and, um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of just, I mean, not a lot of nudity, but there's nudity and there's definitely like explicit occurrences of sex and conversations about it. Plus shitloads of violence, which is much worse to expose children to than sex and nudity. (laughs) Um, so it looks like it fits, it looks like it fits nicely alongside. I hate fairyland, not necessarily in terms of aesthetics so much as just style, you know, like very similarly, just completely irreverent. Um, and then Uh, yeah, very female centric in that regard. I think that's a good companion. And I think that a lot of the controversy and all these stumbles are because when it first came out, um, it was recognized as, uh, and I don't know exactly the groups, but it, you know, it, it was definitely recognized by um, advocates of uh, LGBTQ relationships for having the sex positive, queer positive um, storylines and just acceptance. Like this was a very diverse comic from the get go and it was just very refreshing and it wasn't, you know, as much as it relied on D&D, it didn't fall into these uh, the problems with Game of Thrones, you know, that we yeah, have talked yeah. to death, yeah. you know, so I this and that's what makes it uh, dis- difficult to discuss because I don't see the the problems, uh, you know, the uh, imperfections of its creators in the art itself. You know, that's one of the yeah, things we talked yeah. about with Emily that you'll hear at the end of the episode where. You know, you talk about certain artists who, uh, you know, have been um, credibly accused of, of sort of uh, terrible actions. We saw that sort of telegraphed in their art, you know, like yeah. I'm kind of a dirtbag. You know, this doesn't have that. Like, and it just made it very I, – re- I really wrestled with this, obviously, as you'll hear. Well, keep summer. in mind – keep in mind the – it's hard to tell sometimes – what the relationship between the writer and the artist is if they are indeed two different people. Like in the case of East of West, Hickman and Drugada, that is a co-written book. Like 
they, you know, Hickman writes it and Dragata illustrates it, but Hickman will only write stuff that he knows Dragata wants to draw. And yeah. so it's, and Dragata wants to honor, you know, so it's, it's this kind of wonderful symbiosis. Other yeah. titles, the writer just literally writes and writes and writes and turns it in, over to somebody else who they may not even be in the same city as and go, here you go. Yeah. And that person just takes it and runs with it. In this case, Curtis Wybie has been, is listed as writer for all the volumes up until seven. Yeah. You'd imagine that there's only so much, I mean, it's not like, it's not like the uh, the uh, illustrator of those first two volumes was you know trying to intentionally subvert or, or you know screw with the success of the book. He's just drawing what what Curtis no, turned I, over to him. And and not knowing any of the circumstances other than the arrest and and some of the controversy behind the creative decisions made afterwards. Uh, this may be a, a an you know we all do terrible things from time to time, and this just may be another yeah. example of an imperfect human being who. Uh, you know, something happened in his personal life that's not necessarily re- reflective of his art or his all-time character. I can't speak to that. I don't. I'm not trying to, you know, excuse it or take a side or anything. But I do think that what I felt as a reader was that after those first two volumes, the the synergy was a little bit gone. Boy, I can't believe uh, I used the word well, synergy. Well, that's okay. That's but, right. it's but there's definitely chest. and and honestly, it may have just been what I brought into it. So, okay, but, but here's the question. So, like, let's break that down. So, you have yeah. volumes one and two by one team, volumes three by a different team, and then four and five, which we're we're not doing six and seven. We're just talking four and five. Right. Four and five by a third team, even though the same writers there. Of those three sort of sort of teams, which version of the story did you like best? Uh, that's complex too. Oh. because I was definitely like drawn in by one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and enjoyed that art. That art was, um, were those a, two, were those two books, cartoony? Sorry, were those two ahead. books part of one arc or is each yes. volume its own arc there? I, it's, it's typical in like, it's a five or six issue arc quote unquote uh-huh. that's wrapped up. But, um, uh, the first two volumes were in one story. And then the third one, I think really suffered because they were trying to wrap that story and it just uh, was, okay. it was getting a little, you know, uh, bruised in the process of changing creative teams and, and all that stuff. I think that's why they went on hiatus. So basically okay. with volume four, it, it is a, a, not a total reboot, you know, but it is a reboot, like a fresh start. We're not trying to, to carry in, carry over all these pieces that were there before. Um, and I think they were able to establish a new pace. Uh, and that, and like I said, after finishing, volume five was when I, I told you like, I'm ready to talk about it. You know, I've got, I've got a perspective on it now, but, um, to get a little bit more into the story, you, you would ask, you know, a little bit about like, they're not clarifying what they are. Um, and one of the cool things I like is that while these are tropes of D and D or other medieval fantasy RPGs, they, they're all like a little askew to fit into their world. And, um, Rather than making it seem a little like cartoonish or a parody, it actually drew me in a little bit more. Like there is a a dwarf or a gnome, uh, you know, a much smaller person in their party, but she's called a smidgen. Like that's the name <laughs> of her species. So adorable. Um, yeah, there's a what I think we would normally call like in D and I think you would call a tiefling, which is like the, the sort of uh, devil uh, species, the species that's descended from humans and devils. Um, but, uh, she's drawn more like an elf with pale skin and really pointy ears. She just happens to have the, the, the tiefling horns underneath her hair, but she wears her hair in this kind of, uh, rockabilly style to cover the horns. So uh, there's, uh, there's fun stuff like that. There is a, a, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess the smidgen is actually a halfling. Um, and then because there is a dwarf woman and she full on grows a beard, (laughs) <laughs> you know, and all the women in her family have full, thick beards. Um, there is uh, there's a woman who is uh, clearly like a cleric or a druid, but they don't use all the D&D class names like that. You know, they're not like, oh, our rogue can do this or our cleric will do this. So you don't get the sense that you're watching something derivative of 
those actual games. Like this is oh, not good. like a licensed yeah. property that's trying so hard to get in all the product placement, you know. But do, but do the characters behave by those archetypes in which they're assigned? Because I'm looking at like the lineup in that first free issue, and there's definitely yeah. like you said, like there's like the paladin and the wizard and like the elf and like do they For all sure. sort of have to behave with those? Do they do they fit within those tropes or do they subvert them or do they try? What is how does that go? I, I think at that point they do actually fit within them, um, and. So to me, as someone who's uh, has a long history of Dungeons and Dragons, but only a a short recent time playing it, um, that made it like sort of more appealing to go like, oh, I kind of get that how you okay. know how they're doing that character. But I don't think you need to think that when you're when you're reading it. It's just it just seems uh, obvious to me that the creator, the writer, really knew that world. And thought, okay, here's a a very powerful sorcerer in the the tiefling character, the sort of uh, demonic race, uh, or not demonic, but devil devil race. But she, you know, she's a very powerful sorceress, but uh, doesn't really know where her power comes from. You know, it's like stronger than she imagines. But we're not getting into the whole the, the Harry Potter, uh, Potter like wizard school of like having to learn the spells and stuff. She goes to university and drops out and, you know, has this complicated relationship with her father and, you know, the horns grow and like all this kind of stuff happens that you can picture is like, oh, they're, you know, the character's leveling up. But you don't have to think any of that if you're unfamiliar with it. This is just a really fun a fantasy romp that I, and to me delivers so much more of that magic and zany violence that we didn't see in game of Thrones, which was yeah. so heavy with like, it's very low magic setting, uh, but high undead setting that was like plodding along, you know, um, this is just uh, wacky, like off the wall action all the time. Do you feel somebody who isn't a D and D player like myself, surprisingly enough, do you think that anybody who's not, I mean, I'm, I'm versed enough. I know the, you know, I know the character sure. types and everything, but am I at a disadvantage coming into this if I haven't played D and D a lot or I'm not no. sort of, okay. So anybody could pick this up and, yeah. and enjoy it. And, and, and even if they're not as big, it's almost like you just get a little extra value if you are. Yeah. I feel like you could, um, I feel like if you're a, a hater of those things, this is almost like going to be funny to you. Like okay. you might see those tropes <laughs> as making fun of those things because there's there's a part where um, uh, several parts, in fact, where they they the the dwarf Violet they meet her brother, like her, I, I think is even her twin brother. They look exactly like who has his own adventuring party, and it's like <laughs> um, it's like the Bizarro world where there's like you know an an almost, uh, you know, equivalent of each character in that, but they have yeah. like a wizard that sort of looks like Elvis and he's like a hundred years old. And then they have, you know, like they have the dwarf fighter and then they have this weird druid guy that grows mushrooms all over his body. So they don't have a cleric, they have a druid, you know, it's like that kind of thing of like, uh, here are the bizarro versions of that. And the, the way they come up, the way they just like work that in is, you know, they're cheekily, having fun with with those tropes nice you know like of course you can't have an adventuring party that's just five rogues you know they would all go steal their own stuff and abandon each other you can't have an adventuring party that's all fighters you know they wouldn't have any magic so you got to have like the archetypes in every adventuring party is the the writing kind of contemporary in like a rick and morty style does it feel very conversational or do they still try to do they try to speak in like you know high english or anything like that it's definitely conversational. It's not like high English. It's not even like the Thor version of yeah, Marvel yeah. where everything Thor says is in a different font, you know? Yeah. Um, it is, uh, it's conversational and there's often a lot of like anachronisms in the sense of like, you know, some sort of current speak in it, but it's not Rick and Morty in like that crazy where it's developing its own idioms about stuff. Uh, you know, it's okay. not, yeah. it's not like, Oh, this is all about like, zingers and one-liners that are like really bizarre and stand out like well, it is just even, very accessible. i would say the i would say that the hallmark of rick and morty is just an absolute commitment to casualness like in every situation no matter how dangerous or how you know uh, tragic it might be with the exception of like one thing rick is just cruising through life like he's the big lebowski just like ah whatever i mean just like nothing matters really yeah and then they use that time to do what you said which is like you know give all the kind of pithy clever lines and, and you know, observations and things, but it's all kind of hinged off this irreverence for the, you know, just 
for the idea of storytelling. And, and this kind of looked like it might have lent that way, but it, you're saying it's, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't go that far. And it, and it's also the other distinguishing thing is it's not like it's not like these characters aren't three dimensional. There, yeah, there's a ton yeah. of conflict within them. Okay, and so the, it's they're not they're not like Rick and Morty going through life with like no consequences or <laughs> or hilariously brutal consequences that they can still well, somehow avoid actually paying for. It's like they had, there's real uh, a familial background stuff that's impacting what they do on their adventures and stuff. I just, I, I probably made the mistake of, again, I'm just, I'm fishing through this first issue as we talk yeah. and like literally page one is a Lenny Kravitz looking guy, like in, yeah. in sort of you know, di- di- divvying out like, or, you know, uh, it, I guess missions or, or campaigns to the different parties. And right away he's like holding his face. Like, what did you just say? Like it, he just yeah. looks annoyed. So I, it kind of gave me that sense of how, how far are they going with this? It just, and then you even see that, um, Oh, who's the, Who's the one with the horns? Uh, Hannah. Oh, that's Hannah. Yeah. yeah, you see Hannah, and she just she just sort of looks like she might not care too much about what's ever going on. Just, the way they're yeah. drawing her is interesting. Um, hey, how does the art? Do the characters change? I mean, obviously stylistically, there's going to be some difference in the art, but does do the characters at all change drastically, or do they stay pretty consistent from team to team? I think that um, uh, it it gains a new consistency after volume three. Okay. Um, but in terms of I costumes or hairstyles or uh, all and and the overall like just comic book style of it, it becomes okay. more three dimensional and like oh. uh, what we would think of as like a typical coloring of comic book characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first two volumes are very flat and like flatly inked and sketched. You know, like there's there's often like real visible lines in the penciling and inking and stuff in the first two volumes. Um, Whereas the after that, that's gone. It's very okay. polished and it has that look of, you know, like a Marvel comic kind of thing. Um, but I do think that that's one of the problems with volume three is that because th- they sort of fall out of sync with the illustrator and writer, yeah. um, it, 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 it feels really abrupt. Like it feels like the styles are changing issue to issue and you're, you're going like, I, I don't get it. You know, it doesn't have the rough edges of the first couple, but it's also like, I don't know, you know, different stuff's happening with the characters. It definitely makes you feel like they're different characters. And I think with volume four, that gets settled. And okay. from from then on, you know, so if we want to say it's a it's that uh, Weeby and uh, Genie <laughs> um, collaboration that like finally regains the momentum of the, the first couple issues. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the art because that's one of the things I found so appealing about those first couple volumes and, uh, you know, made it all, all the more difficult to sort of reconcile what was going on with the series without giving too much away. And maybe this is a huge spoiler. So say, say no. If so, do they ever run into like a, a male character? Who's kind of like the Chris Pine of the whole thing where he sort of almost takes on the traditional female role or damsel in distress role. Oh, that's a that good question. Like that just seems like something that would be fun to play with in this format. And actually, I mean, uh, it, it would be, um, but in a way that's what is so sort of stunningly mature about it oh, okay. is that they, they yeah. don't really go into that even when they like they there's a, a there's a um a little arc in one of the later volumes maybe maybe it's actually in five um where they follow this orc that you've met before and like it goes back to his backstory and sort of how he you know became the man he is mm-hmm. um and it's really deep and like three-dimensional and he has all these you know parental issues as well and it's like not only did is he not a twist on the trope of like an orc being a monster because you've already met him and you know he's not, you know, but it's but it presents other orcs as not being monsters. You know, this is not a Peter Jackson rendering of a bunch of orcs, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's it's there's a lot of family stuff in it and a lot of tender moments. And it's, you know, it's just kind of like, no, there's a different species and how they treat each other may seem really, uh, you know, harsh or brutal to us. But. There's all this other stuff. So yeah, I, I there are definitely some like cheesecake kind of or beefcake kind of moments, um, but that's not the overarching theme of, of you know, <laughs> of oh, it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's good. It's good. I like that you framed it that way. They, it's almost too mature to sort of 
play that game. And not that there's anything wrong with it. Wonder Woman, no, Wonder no, no, Woman no. did it beautifully. But like, I yeah. like that they're just like, you know, this is the story we're telling. We don't necessarily have to use those tools to, to do yeah. it. I, I like that. Um, right. And I would say Mockingbird's a great comic example. Of ah, that. Like yes. when you talked about that, that first volume and even I guess the second volume too, where there's like a lot of that, like reversal of stereotypes from James Bond, where yeah. this, now the secret agent woman has these like sort of, you know, constant one night stands with like beefcake yeah, <laughs> bim- uh, bimbo guys, you know, I kind of like the age of the beefcake bim- bimbo guy. Like there's something just sort of like, Oh, that's kind of fun. It's just, it's fun to see yeah. that character play. That's, that's kind of why, I mean, not that I need have to have it like in any situation like this is just, that's why it came to mind. Cause I'm like, it is so fun. And just, it seems like a fun book. Hey, yeah. usual question of digital versus physical. And I'll, I know you started on comiXology. Did you I happen have- to get any, any paperbacks? I went all through Comixology, um, and then only after I had read it there did I find uh, like uh, a half price version of one of the volumes and picked it up. Nice. Um, so I can't really judge one or the other. Like I didn't, I haven't even read that paperback version. Um, I do think that the the art of the first couple of volumes probably lends itself better to physical, but after that, you know, it's it's interchangeable i think um and i I did like the cinematic thing like it's this is not a story where it's told uh what's the one we always talk about like in mr miracle where oh yeah you a lot of times you have to like double tap on the comiXology to see the whole page layout Uh to sort of figure out how are these different panels relating to each other this doesn't feel that way at all it feels totally fine to just like it was huge about that yeah exactly this one's like no you can just swipe through panel to panel it just feels like an action movie kind of thing well Uh, i will will say too again judging by the the looks of volume one at least it has almost it almost looks like stills from an animated series like the way the the art kind of has it looks very much like it could just be in motion so i would imagine the comicsology cover flow works well for that just kind of give it a little bit more energy um, although you know some of the panel layouts in the physical pages too look pretty great, like the fight scenes look really well staged. Yeah, God, the fight scenes look good. I would Jesus, I would say get this with the fight scenes alone. These look great. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and I really well. You know, as I as I teased before, like the saying, like I didn't know how to, I didn't know what my you know uh, final review would be on it until I got through volume five and and i realized with that reboot it does feel like a very fresh start and so i would say just avoid the controversy okay start start with volume four um you'll have less to catch up on you'll be ready for the new creative team you know volume seven comes out in february uh you're there is no origin story anyway you're gonna get all of that through the way the backstory plays out in those volumes so i think it is possible to enjoy this and, you know, you know, recognize the flaws, but, um, but, but kind of step lightly around them. Are you interested in continuing on into volume seven? I actually will, will probably dip into volume seven. I don't, this is weird. I don't know that I'll read volume six, even though I bet it kind of ties up some stuff. There is a really, um, for me, there was a very confusing arc and I, in four and five. And I think that was only confusing because I didn't at when I was reading through it, I didn't understand this was a total reboot from three to four until okay. after I read it and was prepping for our podcast last week. Okay. And okay. that was when I was like, Oh, of course. And I, but it, you know, that threw me off a little bit as a reader. So I think if you're a new reader, you're not even going to recognize, but to me it was like, what happened to the thing I was reading before? Uh, okay. Um, because I thought they were just continuing on. Yeah, uh, yeah. So what I read is like I kept waiting for this like something to, ex- you know, to kind of like reverse engineer how it all fit together. And that never happened. And so I was just very, very confused for one whole arc. It turned out to be a really good arc. So, like I say, if you haven't read it, that shouldn't cause you any problems. But because of how that work went down for me, I'm just interested in seeing what the new creative team does. Um and also they had put out a couple of like one shots uh, that I was able to borrow on Comixology. One was like from a different creative team and one was from Weeby and a different artist. Uh, and honestly, I like you know, it was that Comixology thing of like I flipped through a couple pages and went, nah, not for me. Yeah. And I and I dropped out because I, I guess maybe it turns out like I don't really want to see them on side quests or like, you know, in a different milieu. Like I just I just want the Rat Queens to be the Rat Queens and that's. 
you know, that worked for me. So I want to see what the new. <laughs> that sounds like such a punk rock thing in New York in the 70s. I just want the rock queens to be the blind <laughs> rock queens, man. Oh, it's that I love that. Well, we should probably maybe yeah. pin it up there because we have a whole other discussion, like you said in the beginning, where we you're going to hear now from t- the Todd and Taylor of the past. So God yes. knows how how fun that's going to be. But I'm sure I, it was a very substantive conversation, kind of on the fly, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. And you and I have had these these conversations uh, over the past couple of years, like whether yeah. or, you know in the podcast or not, about separating the art from the artist. And I think it's the thing we all think about a lot. Uh, and you know, I, when I went back and listened to this, I thought, yeah, we, we should put this out like this, this pretty yeah. interesting conversation. And I'm thanks be to curious. Emily Kelly Cunin for uh, joining us in it. Emily Kelly. And if you like Emily Kelly Cunin, go back and listen to any number of Wednesday and Westeros episodes where she is our third host. And, um, and we've also had other episodes of panelism where yeah. she, I think we've talked Wonder Woman with her. We've talked all kinds of Supergirl. things with her. Supergirl. Yeah. So she's been a, she's been a mainstay in the panelism universe uh, the panelism pantheon, if you will, for yeah. a while now. So yeah, yeah, go check that out. I can't wait to. I, I'm definitely. I'm. And I have not listened to it since we recorded it, so I'm curious to hear it myself. Yeah. So I'll be listening in with all of you. And I've had this thing of like, I don't know how to talk about this on panelism because I don't want to be a guy like just dismissing the violence of another guy. Sure. Um, but I don't know how how we classify problematic artists that we yeah. like, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I brought this up to Taylor and, and I'd said to Taylor, you know what I should do is I should just get Emily to kind of talk to me about that. Like, yeah. I love it. it's weird because I think in some instances, and sorry, I'm talking so much, but I think in yeah. some instances like Louis CK yeah. is in retrospect. Well, first of all, I, I don't think he's ever like properly atoned for his actions. And then secondly, in retrospect, like his actions were telegraphed through his art for years. Yeah. You know? Like it wasn't when I heard about him, I was like, you, why is everyone so surprised? Right. And so I, to me, it's very easy for me not to watch Louis CK because I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. your art just reminds me of the accusations against you. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I'm just, I'm just troubled because the, the art, you know, has nothing to do with that. In fact, this, this book, I think won a glad award for its depiction of like Mm -hmm. LGBT characters. And it was, it was very inclusive and sex positive Mm -hmm. and feminist in its way. Um, And I'm, you know, thinking of this for three months has left me (laughs) like, like I haven't gone back to the book in three months, you know, almost because of that. And anyway, what is, what is your take as a woman? Like, when is it, I don't even know if I want an ex- if it's acceptable or not kind of answer. I, I just, um, you know, for me personally, cause I was talking, my, one of my friends was here for y'all West too, cause we went to universal. And, um, so I was thinking about this yesterday too, because of Johnny Depp. And oh, so, because right. Harry Potter is like my whole fucking life, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've been a Harry Potter fan for literally 21 years. And as soon as the accusations came out about him and were obviously proven true, um, that I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. You know, like I couldn't, and, and Pi- Pirates of the Caribbean is one of my all time favorite movies and large in large part because of his performance as Jack Sparrow. Mm-hmm. But if I can say to myself, you know, I, it's hard, it's hard to put into words, but you know, you, at a certain point you have to decide to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. And so my walking the walk has been that I still haven't seen the n- next Harry Potter movie and that not, I will not, not worth it. yeah, like uh, it, that I probably, that, <laughs> that I'll probably see it eventually when I can see it in a medium where like, I'm not actively giving money to him, you know, like that. I feel like I could just watch it on TV or like at a friend's house or something, you know, where I, but I can't like, I'm, I'm never going to watch those parts of Caribbean movies ever again. And it's really sad because I loved them really a lot. And I thought they were really great. Um, and so I think in this instance, and there, and there's a lot of stuff like this, like the other day we watched, um, shit, what was it? It was an older movie. Um, oh, we, okay. We tried to watch, um, hateful eight. Uh, and so, and this was after I knew all these things about Tarantino, basically trying to murder Uma Thurman, like she got in the car accident on per- he made her get in a car accident on purpose and kill Bill. And it's produced by Harvey Weinstein. And so I was just like, cool, cool, cool. I don't know if I could do this. Like, I don't, I don't. And we ended up not finishing the movie. 
Like we were watching it and there was another thing because they said the N word a lot, but like you, I think the best thing you can do is, um, like you said, like the, that's not being drawn by him anymore. And if you're going to talk about it or you're going to still read about it, I think admitting that you know about it and admitting that it horrifies you is like the best thing you can do. God, that's a really great point. Because yeah, of like, as long as you're making, as long as you acknowledge it, like, look, I know the problem with this before and I get it and I hate that guy, but I still think the books are worth it or the show is worth it or the movie is worth it or whatever. That's kind of the only thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. I, we could have a separate episode where we talk and I mean, there's so many. Could be almost, well, instead of even talking about the book necessarily, we could almost just have a separate episode where we delve into this. Because I, I agree, but I also have mixed feelings on if you can separate the artist from the art. Um, and if and I understand the sort of the, the ethical imperative of not giving them money through that that medium. But if you can mm-hmm. consume it for free, let's just say, mm-hmm. or let's say you bought them before this this was a problem. I mean, there's any number of ways you can kind of go about it. But I, a good example of my, just my own personal world is the movie The Ninth Gate, which I freaking mm-hmm. love for some mm-hmm. weird reason. And mm-hmm. it's almost a double double standard because it has Johnny Depp starring and Roman Polanski di- writing and directing. Yeah, right. yeah. So you get this double standard. <laughs> so I that pops in my head now and then when I'm watching it, but I'm like, fuck, I still love, I can, this, this story and this movie and this aesthetic, I can appreciate separate from that, but I still get that a lot of people would be uncomfortable from this. So where does that put me? And I'm not, I'm not trying to make a case one way or the other. I'm just like, it's, there are interesting questions to have to reason through. Yeah. And, and I, 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 to me, there's also um, Taylor, you and I talked about this a little bit and I don't want to, I'm not trying to like, excuse it away for sure or anything like that. But, but there is, there's gotta be a, I don't know. It feels like that we have to talk about things in terms of scale. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, is this Harvey Weinstein who serially abused his power against multiple people, or is this like a domestic violence situation that is horrible and Mm -hmm. horrifying, but it seems to be the only case of its kind. And I'm not trying to like excuse that, but it is, uh, you know, but even with Harvey Weinstein, I, I don't know. Is that, is, wait, that a, is that a life sentence? I guess is what I'm saying. You know? Even with Harvey Weinstein, as horrific as all the shit he did was, he still had good taste. So does that dismiss? I mean, any of the movies he produced, he's no longer financially attached to. Yes. So you can go watch the artist and be completely happy, knowing that he literally is the reason that movie exists at all. I, but you're like, you know, it's. There's, go ahead. I, Sorry. I probably felt that same way until I read the Selma Hayek piece. Yeah. Just, Ooh, I've not read that yet. When she explains how he made her change Frida mm-hmm. and like depart from her artistic vision to basically mm-hmm. get her naked in it. Yeah. It made me question so many Weinstein companies. All right. Let me go. I'm going to read that yeah. as soon as we're done. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot like, like, like I said, I couldn't finish Hateful Eight, but I watched Chicago the other night. And that's oh, one of the big, no. like, he won the Academy Award for it. Like oh Weinstein yeah yeah but I just I again it's a movie led by <laughs> led by women with other really great actors who are not problematic and I yeah. think you know my best advice is to talk about it up front mm-hmm. is to talk about like say hey we acknowledge this problem with rat queens in the past we acknowledge that he, what he did was wrong we obviously you know and and just i think just be honest like say, just say exactly what you said to me child like i haven't even been able to pick up books since learning about this and i think that's a good yeah. way of saying you're well, not get, I, you know you're not like you're not trying to make excuses for yourself i think that's when people get more mad you know what right. I mean? <laughs> you wrap that up in a great way because <laughs> I, I was interjecting and i'm, I'm sorry uh, to say the problem is i actually i actually purchased the books after I had already researched why I knew that thing. And I was yeah. like, but still, I love him. And he didn't do, you know, it was like, I was already trying to make the excuse, which yeah. I think is so similar to the Louis CK situation, because mm-hmm. I heard those rumors about him mm-hmm. five years ago. Mm-hmm. And so when that became like sort of publicly acknowledged, it was like, I, I hate myself, you know, mm-hmm. like I was yeah. never like a huge Louis CK fan, but like, mm-hmm. I, I know I gave him money. You know, in in other ways, even after I'd heard the initial rumor, but you don't know what to do with those rumors anyway. And and acknowledging that too, like that you feel regret and that you feel remorse for having bought the other ones and not knowing about this or knowing about it and still buying them. 
I think yeah. that goes a long way too. I think it's when people say, well, but you can't, you can't separate the art from the artist. And it's like, you absolutely super can. Like, it, yeah. It's just a personal decision to do so. I'm glad and, that's where you're falling on it. Cause I, yeah. th- that, I mean, I res- absolutely respect people who are like, I can't stomach this right now. That's, t- but yeah, the people yeah. who can separate it, I think there's a place for it too. Yeah. yeah. And I think well, it, it makes a good point too, especially because the, the next artist after him is a female artist. There's yeah. no reason to punish her or the other writers for what he has done. Yeah. Like there's no reason for everything yeah. that they have worked for to be, at- be attached to him. Yeah. That, um, I think that's another good point too. That's where the story gets more complicated because yeah. Tessa Fowler ended up, uh, she got yanked from the book, I think. And then she felt like they were negotiating behind her back to bring back the original artist. Mm-hmm. And she ended up getting so sick of the whole thing. She just got rid of all of her like sketches and art and everything. She was like, just get mm-hmm. the shit out of my house. And she had a big rant about it on Twitter. Like the boys club, you know, mm-hmm. boxed me out. Mm-hmm. But I think since then they, I think they, they, every volume after that had a different artist. And I, okay. so, but it just, the original never came back and now it's in two different creators hands, but mm-hmm. every book has those two original creators on it. And it's just, anyway, I, I won't, we're not even going to talk about this without me actually excerpting this audio of what you've just said, in okay. it. you know, like, because I don't want to misrepresent it. Like I'm trying to make an excuse for it or something. Okay. So yeah. It's like my, my, my best where... advice and for, and not just you guys, for anyone is just be honest, own that maybe in the past you've made mistakes, but that you're trying to be better because that's all we can do. And that's what I've been telling you is I'm done this like, you know, environmental kick too. of like, of course I've mm-hmm. used plastic toothbrushes my whole freaking life. And now I don't, yeah. but do I feel bad about that? Yes. But am I trying to be better? Absolutely. And that's all you can do with this, this kinds of instance too, of have you bought books? Have you bought, have you gone to see movies? Have you loved actors who have turned out to be problematic? Do you still watch those stuff? Do you still like them? If not, then you're doing better. That's it. That's all you can hope for to just do better. To, to piggyback on something, what you just said and something Taylor said, like Taylor, you're bringing up that example of like, you know, purely, uh, maybe not purely separating it, but just sort of like, abstaining from watching any of it. Those, well, my, people, those people are like, I can't watch anything that Harvey Weinstein touch. And, but the other is the reverse where people just, they, they refuse to let it, it like cause any introspection, you know, where they're mm-hmm. like, Hey, I don't care what they did in their private life. I'm just going to watch all the movies I love. Like, don't make me think about it. And that is such a, a horrible position too. Like I, what, yeah. what you should do, but what you should do though, I'm like, if you want to go down that path, if you want to indulge it because of it, then take the high road of saying, Oh, the art is now colored by this experience. Yeah. What is the message or what's the, what are they communicating through the aesthetic of this? Now that I know it's colored, it's almost like Pete Rose, you know, we, Mm-hmm. Baseball player, we appreciate Pete mm-hmm. Rose, but he will always and forever have an asterisk by his mm-hmm. name in mm-hmm. every situation because of of what he did to the sport. People still appreciate him, but it's, it, it, anytime his name is mentioned, it creates this this con- it creates a discussion one way yeah. or the other. So I feel like going going back to Ninth Gate, I'll watch Ninth Gate and I'll appreciate. I'm like I really love this when it first came out, but now I watch it going. What would the, I mean, the mind of Roland Polanski made this. Like I'm judging the art through that prism of knowing the people who made it. Like why, you know, like like interesting. He made that choice as an actor, as a writer, as a director, but that's influenced by how shitty he was. Hmm. Interesting. Like it just caused me to, to think about it a lot more deeply than I would it's otherwise. Michael and Jackson that's, problem. That's an, it. Ooh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause that's then all <laughs> of a sudden, <laughs> but here, but, but, but just viscerally for some reason that sits like I would actively stop listening. I mean, I'll, I'll still adhere to my, my point that if you can listen to Michael Jackson, even though you acknowledge it and you can separate it fine. But for me, I almost draw the line with him just from a personal standpoint, because I'm like, I can't, I can't listen to Billie Jean the same way ever again. And it makes me just uncomfortable. And so it's now I'm all of a sudden, I'm, I, Emily, I can see mm-hmm. now how you think about Johnny Depp. Cause it's just like, yeah. Ew, if it's anything like huh. that, that I feel, I feel for you having been a, a big Harry Potter pirates fan. That's like, yeah. And I think oof. it's up to us too, especially in these instances where the, you know, people are also quite famous of, as a survivor, you don't want your whole rest of your life to be defined by the people who hurt you. Yeah. And I think just, you know, trying to, to acknowledge, like, because I've been talking about Johnny Depp, to acknowledge that Amber Heard has moved on and is still an amazing accent, an actress and a person and to acknowledge all the work that she's done without having to always talk about, oh, she's Johnny Depp's ex-wife. 
Yeah. That's what, what yeah. that's the real, that's the real progress there. That's of, true. Because all the women or men, all the women and men that have been hurt by problematic people in Hollywood and beyond don't want to have the asterisk on them either. True. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to look, see James Safechuck in a, in a grocery store and be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like 10 years from now. And he's like, yeah. oh, still yeah. like not to ignore what happened to them, but to be able to, you know, let's say, um, what's the rum, the rum diaries or whatever that movie mm-hmm. that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard did together. Like mm-hmm. if you still, if you love that movie because you love Hunter S Thompson or whatever, and you're watching it because of her, that's a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Like, because you want to honor her and monitor her performance and, you know, let her move on with her life or let anyone move on with their lives of Frida too, is a good example of, yes, it's, it was produced by Harvey Weinstein, but it's also one of the best works that Samuel Hayek has ever done. And mm-hmm. it's an important work of film an important biopic about it, a really, really awesome lady. Um, so it's just, it has to be a personal choice. It can't be, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are like, it's either all or nothing. Like you either hate everything Johnny yeah. Depp has ever done or Harvey Weinstein has ever done, or you're a monster, you know, like it doesn't have to be like that. So if you liked what you heard, um, you can find us anywhere podcasts are, I always want to say sold, but they're not sold. They're for free. We're anywhere <laughs> yeah, you find free. podcasts. We would love to pan- sell them to you. Yeah. Uh, search for panelism. Um, and tell your friends if you like it share an episode or two with some friends that the fastest way for us to gain new listeners is when you share episodes and let us know what you think also find us on Instagram we are panelism.ink that is the username on Instagram and it's also our website address www.panelism.ink that's panelism.ink find all our past episodes you know we continue to see stats of people listening to old episodes stuff that you know we thought long ago you know, go, you know gone and a lot of that's evergreen so that's kind of fun but it's just we always get new listeners coming in at different times seeing you're know, hearing different things um so yeah go back in the catalog check out you know a bunch of previous conversations and i can't wait to continue into 2020 because i think this will be dare i say this will probably be our best year content wise that we've ever had i'm just i've got a good feeling about it i i am i would make the bold prediction that this will be the most recent year that we have put out a podcast <laughs> um I, and i and also read black monday murders yes thank you for that reminder. january 29th that's right we'll be talking about that then otherwise until next time happy reading and uh stay tuned for more